The first thing that I would like to say before I begin this podcast is that I would like to dedicate this podcast to my inner child and to the inner child of intersex people everywhere. Hi there and welcome once again to the Intersex Podcast. I am Jo Roberts. Uh, Thank you for uh, listening in to this podcast and the topic today is Parents of Intersex People, My Perspective. Firstly, I would like to give you a very brief disclaimer. As the title suggests, this uh, podcast is my perspective. It's just my opinion. I'm not speaking for um, the intersex community as an entirety in this podcast. So this podcast may be brief or it may be quite long. I may even have to separate it into two parts. I'm not sure. I'll just see how it goes. I was inspired to make this particular podcast on this particular subject today after I attended a workshop and the workshop was an inner child healing workshop. Just to give you a brief summary of what that term means, it's basically just an approach to healing childhood trauma. So it's like a a sort of form of therapy, I guess you could say. It's fairly widely used, it's become popularised in Western society over the past century. I think it was Carol Jung who gave birth to this form of therapy and um, it's also become very popular in new age circles as well but it has some very real and lasting and useful practical um, applications and it's done a lot of good for a lot of people. Essentially the inner child is basically the child aspect of you so some of the things which make up your inner child which is a sort of conceptual thing Um, some of the things which make that up are your feelings your creative impulses so the desire to be creative like drawing and painting or making things that's part of your inner child Um, coming up with creative or unusual ideas because children are very good at thinking outside the box playful things like dancing, laughing, listening to music, singing, um, sort of laughing and joking and being sort of playful and light-hearted. All of those things make up the inner child. So within seconds of actually starting the workshop, which was done via Zoom, I began crying and because one of the primary emotions which is dealt with in inner child work is grief, it can actually be quite a common response to inner child work that the person begins crying very soon after starting it. The first thing which began to surface, and this just happened spontaneously and naturally, was that I began to focus in on the emotional imprint associated with the run-up to me being taken into surgery for the first time to be operated on as regarding uh, being intersex. So I have spoken about this uh, a number of times in previous podcasts and what actually occurred um, in the moments when I was being taken away from my mother to be taken into surgery is that I experienced very severe separation anxiety which I still remember even to this day. So when I began this inner child work today I immediately began having uh, what you would call an emotional flashback to the moments leading up to me being taken into surgery. 
The term emotional flashback is associated with complex PTSD. I first encountered that term in a book called Complex PTSD from Surviving to Thriving and uh, complex PTSD occurs when a person has repeated exposure to traumas over and over again over a prolonged period of time i.e. years and I believe a great many intersex people will have complex PTSD owing to the experiences that they have within a medical setting, um, often over a period of many years during childhood. So I had this emotional flashback when I began um, the workshop today and I immediately went into the emotional experience of being taken um, away from my mother and the feelings that were came up were were very powerful so I'm going to try and talk through them. So what actually happened was the group of doctors who took me into surgery came and took me away from my mother and I was wheeled away on the the hospital bed thing, a gurney it's known as and they're they're wheeling me along and I'm turning to my mother and I'm in a panic almost straight away there's panic and I immediately begin to protest however I wasn't listened to so what immediately began to develop emotionally was a feeling of betrayal because as I'm being wheeled along this hospital corridor my mother is walking alongside me and she's not stopping this group of strangers um, from taking me away from her. So I don't know who they are. I was three years old, probably didn't fully understand even what the concept of a doctor was as far as I was concerned. Um, as far as my three-year-old self was concerned, it was just a group of strangers who were taking me away from my mother. So I began shouting and screaming and telling them to not take me and I was also lashing out physically as well. I took a very extreme reaction which was highly synonymous with separation anxiety which is a very severe trauma for small children if you try to separate them from their parents in a way which is done very, uh, how can I put this, harshly or bluntly or is otherwise not done with any finesse or tact or diplomacy or sensitivity and this had none of those. It was done in the most crude and just unforgivable way imaginable. So I wasn't listened to and I began to cry and I panicked and I was in a state of extreme distress and the feelings which arose in that moment and the feelings which I had a flashback to today were feelings of betrayal and there was also feelings of confusion because I didn't know what was happening and didn't understand why it was happening and I think terror. I think betrayal and terror um, were two of the or they were the two most predominant feelings which I had in those moments. I also believe that I had a sixth sense as regards to knowing what the doctors actually had in store for me as well. So this began making me think about the role of the parents of intersex people in all of this. 
I have had my own struggle to deal with where this is concerned because neither of my two parents are able to understand the damage that has been done. So when you have a particular thing happens in your life at a very young age and you are able to recall some of it and you're able to recall how you felt when it happened, you begin to develop an understanding of how it has affected your life. There will be other intersex people who have had this experience as well. So one of the common ones is the repeated medical examinations from the waist down. Um, lots of intersex people can remember back to childhood having these the feelings of discomfort, humiliation, shame, degradation, dehumanisation. You begin to piece together how it's affected you in certain ways and <clears throat> then when you look back across your life, you're able to see how it affected certain things, how it's had a knock-on effect, a domino effect. And you begin to develop an understanding of your trauma and how it has affected you. So I'm able to um, have a, actually a pretty outstanding um, understanding of how those events that I've just described uh, affected me. So there was a very profound and extreme case of separation anxiety. And that has affected my attachment style over the years. So I... I'm not able to form healthy, secure attachments with other human beings. My attachment style over the course of my lifetime has been severely damaged. And there's actually a mixture of attachment styles there. Um, and many people who have been through childhood traumas experience this. And it's you may develop different attachment styles pertaining to different people. Um, but what they all have in common is that none of those attachments are healthy. Um, they're usually highly neurotic and um, very, very deeply insecure. Some people have a good understanding of trauma and some people don't. And the people who don't probably would do well to keep quiet on this issue. The experience that I just described had a severe, profound and long-lasting impact and it has followed me all my life and it's only now being addressed. So this is just one example of what can happen to a child when they are taken away from their parent at a very young age and taken into hospital to be operated on against their will. That is just one example of one trauma that an intersex person can experience in this society. There are probably dozens. So in my own instance, neither of my parents are willing to take responsibility for that trauma. They both are adamant that they, I'm trying to think of how to put this, are, are put in a space between themselves, their actions, and the consequences of those actions, i.e. the way my life has taken shape over the course of my lifetime. Um, and in one instance, one of my parents, there was a complete steadfast denial that any mistake whatsoever had been made. And there was a complete denial whatsoever that to steer a person along a particular path when they are intersex, to steer them along the path of either a male or a female when it's not something that should be decided for the person because it could go either way or neither way is a mistake. 
But this gets us to the heart of the matter. I believe that the average person would empathise more with the parents of an intersex person than with an actual intersex person. So there is an organisation in the UK called DSD Families and it receives lottery funding. I only just recently learned that. And there is no official organisation for intersex people that is specifically geared towards intersex people and receives any funding, including um, lottery grants. But the only one in the UK which is getting funding from the National Lottery is one which is predominantly aimed at the parents of people like myself. And is also directed towards viewing the bodies of intersex people as a problem which needs to be fixed even if their website does this in increasingly indirect ways. Also I think what strikes me most of all is that the version of events which they're sort of presenting on their website, the overall impression that they're trying to give is one which does not speak for the experiences of people like myself, the absolute horror that we went through, the horror that I described earlier on in this podcast where you have a group of adults who are all looking upon the body of a three-year-old child as a problem that needs to be fixed when the only thing that needs to be fixed is something wrong with their fucking perception. They're the fucking problem. It's not the bodies of intersex children that need to be fixed. It's people and their god-awful perceptions, their ego judgments of something which in and of itself is completely neutral. Unless, of course, you're talking about a health condition which is threatening somebody's life, that's a different matter. But the atypicality in and of itself is not a problem until somebody and their stupid ego looks at that body and makes it a problem. And I felt absolutely furious when I was thinking about it today and it brought a lot of feelings to the surface. And one of the the main perceptions that it brought to the surface was how dare the parents of intersex people think that they should be allowed to make this about us. A child is born into the world. They have absolutely no concept of shame whatsoever. It's not something that people are born with. It's a completely socially created ego-based concept and a baby is born with absolutely no shame it doesn't have a self-concept and it doesn't know that there's anything different about its body and then society imprints its neurosis about atypicality onto intersex children they do not know what shame is until that shame is projected onto them by other people So my perception was one of how dare people, and that has to include the parents of intersex people, make this about us. See, I don't want to have to say this because there's also a bit of um, a socially conditioned guilt that goes on as regards to questioning your parents. And in fact, many people capitalise on this where their offspring are concerned. They use that guilt to their advantage. Also, in my previous video on uh, circumcision, I mentioned an anecdote in which uh, a young man who was circumcised as a baby confronts his mother 
about why she chose to allow that to happen to him and she responds along the lines of you belong to me and this is a very common perception that a lot of people have <clears throat> as regards to their children and it's not just the parents of people who um, have unwanted surgeries forced upon them or even just the parents of people who have bodies that are different in some way. I think a lot of parents in our society have this perception that somehow their children belong to them and nothing of the sort is true. Yeah, Human beings are not property. You're certainly responsible for them. You're there to guide them, but your children don't belong to you. If you think that, then you're out of order and you're... Um, your perception is um, severely damaged. There's also the small matter that most people naturally and effortlessly attune to their parents and what their parents want and they do so from the very earliest age possible. It's like a form of attunement and most small children idolise their parents and want to be just like them and they effortlessly attune to what their parents want. Most people want to please their parents, they want to keep their parents happy. And so it's kind of built into the design of human beings that they just naturally attune to their parents as children anyway. So this idea of challenging the decision-making of parents is not an easy thing to do because we're socially conditioned, if not evolutionarily conditioned against it from a very young age. But the reaction of most people who have intersex children to their children's atypical bodies is, in my assessment, somewhat unevolved. And it is somewhat telling that even when someone like myself, who is reasonably intelligent, very articulate and fairly erudite, is able to describe very well exactly what they went through and the long-lasting consequences of what they went through, they're still not really seen and heard and understood and validated. And to be honest, the people that come along and sort of try and chip away at the perceptions of people like myself who went through traumas like the ones I went through and are able to articulate the exact ways in which those traumas affected their life. The people who chip away at that, you're just making the world a darker place. So to return briefly to the inner child workshop that I participated in, it was very rewarding in some respects and very cleansing in terms of the, the level of crying that I did because it was a level of crying whereby um, it could feel as I did it, that it was cleansing. The problem is that when you do something like that, and the workshop did last a number of hours, you also end up very tired at the end of it as well. And so I am going to draw this podcast to a close. My summary assessment of the parents of intersex people as regards to the fact that they have intersex children is if you see your children's bodies as a problem, you're the problem. In conclusion, if you are an intersex person and you are listening to this, I would recommend inner child work to you. That's always supposing you've had a lot of trauma um, alongside the medical profession, which in many cases is the case. But if you're one of a small number of intersex people that's had little to no involvement 
um, with the medical profession, then that's fantastic. Um, but if you've got traumas, then inner child work, if you haven't done it already, I think is going to be very beneficial to you. And at the workshop, one of the people leading the workshop concluded um, the workshop with a poem which had been written about the subject and uh, the subject of inner child work I mean not intersex people and so I am going to conclude this podcast with that very same poem and I think it um, is a very profound poem so um, thank you for listening to this podcast and um, please tune in again so the title of the poem is please hear what i'm not saying by charles c finn don't be fooled by me don't be fooled by the face i wear for i wear a mask a thousand masks masks that i'm afraid to take off and none of them is me pretending is an art that's second nature with me but don't be fooled for god's sake don't be fooled I give you the impression that I'm secure, that all is sunny and unruffled with me within as well as without, that confidence is my name and coolness my game, that the water's calm and I'm in command, and that I need no one but don't believe me. My surface may seem smooth, but my surface is my mask, ever varying and ever concealing. Beneath lies no complacence, beneath lies confusion and fear and aloneness, but I hide this. I don't want anybody to know it. I panic at the thought of my weakness exposed. That's why I frantically create a mask to hide behind, a nonchalant, sophisticated facade to help me pretend, to shield me from the glance that knows. But such a glance is precisely my salvation, my only hope, and I know it. That is, if it's followed by acceptance, if it's followed by love. It's the only thing that can liberate me from myself, from my own self-built prison walls, from the barriers I so painstakingly erect. It's the only thing that will assure me of what I can't assure myself, that I'm really worth something. But I don't tell you this. I don't dare to. I'm afraid to. I'm afraid your glance will not be followed by acceptance, will not be followed by love. I'm afraid you'll think less of me, that you'll laugh and your laugh would kill me. I'm afraid that deep down I'm nothing and that you will see this and reject me. So I play my game, my desperate pretending game, with a facade of assurance without and a trembling child within. So begins the glittering but empty parade of masks and my life becomes a front. I idly chatter to you in the suave tones of surface talk. I tell you everything that's really nothing, and nothing of what's everything, of what's crying within me. So when I'm going through my routine, do not be fooled by what I'm saying. Please listen carefully and try to hear what I'm not saying, what I'd like to be able to say, what for survival I need to say, but what I can't say. I don't like hiding. I don't like playing superficial phony games. I want to stop playing them. I want to be genuine and spontaneous and me, but you've got to help me. You've got to hold out your hand, even when that's the last thing I seem to want. Only you can wipe away from my eyes the blank stare of the breathing dead. Only you can call me into aliveness. Each time you're kind and gentle and encouraging, each time you try to understand because you really care, my heart begins to grow wings. Very small wings, very feeble wings, but wings. With your power to touch me into feeling, you can breathe life into me. I want you to know that. I want you to know how important you are to me. 
how you can be a creator, an honest to God creator of the person that is me, if you choose to. You alone can break down the wall behind which I tremble. You alone can remove my mask. You alone can release me from my shadow world of panic, from my lonely prison, if you choose to. Please choose to. Do not pass me by. It will not be easy for you. A long conviction of worthlessness builds strong walls. The nearer you approach to me, the blinder I may strike back. It's irrational, but despite what the books say about man, often I am irrational. I fight against the very thing I cry out for. But I am told that love is stronger than strong walls, and in this lies my hope. Please try to beat down those walls with firm hands, but with gentle hands, for a child is very sensitive. Who am I, you may wonder. I am someone you know very well, for I am every man you meet, and I am every woman you meet.